0: We come now to the scripture. Let me ask you, please, to pray with me, Father in heaven. Uh, this word that you give to us is light and life to us. So I pray that uh, you will enable us uh, to listen and to believe. And this I pray in Jesus' name. Amen. Turn, please, to Malachi and chapter 3. I went to Begin reading with verse 18 and take us through, through just chapter 4 and verse 3. Um, Malachi chapter 3, please, and verse 18. <clears throat> Hear the word of God. Then once more you shall see the distinction between the righteous and the wicked, between one who serves God and one who does not serve him. For behold, the day is coming, burning like an oven, when all the arrogant and all evildoers will be stubble. The day that is coming shall set them ablaze, says the Lord of hosts, so that it will leave them neither root nor branch. But for you who fear my name... The son of righteousness shall rise with healing in its wings. You shall go out leaping like calves from the stall. And you shall tread down the wicked. For they will be ashes under the soles of your feet. On the day when I act. Says the Lord of hosts. Now we've come to the end really. To the last chapter of this prophet Malachi. The last book in our Old Testament. The last prophet in Judah and ancient Israel. Um, another prophet will not... Arise on the scene, at least as we know it, until uh, John the Baptist, some 400 years after this. And so we're getting the very last of it, if you will. And so we'll spend this week and next finishing up this, uh, this prophetic book we started a few months ago. But, but, but here we find this prophet coming. Now, you know, we've said this before, but it's important to kind of get in our heads. The role of the prophet is to come and enforce the terms of the covenant. Right? He's, he's rather like a covenant prosecutor. He comes to enforce the terms of the covenant. Prophets show up most often when the Israelites, when the people under God's covenant were being disobedient, which means they show up quite often. And Malachi is one of these, these prophets. And so we speak of God's covenant. We use that word a lot, but again, it's just good to get it in our minds what a covenant is. And, and the covenant, a biblical covenant, a covenant that God makes... Is, is a covenant is a is is his agreement on how he will deal with his people. A covenant a covenant is a word that we use that describes how God deals with his people. If, it, if we looked at it as if it were a legal document, if we look at it sort of laid out, and, and the Bible is such a document. Uh, but uh, it would have sort of at the top God and. Whoever he's making covenant with. Moses, let's say, on behalf of the people. God and Israel, if you will. And so those are the parties of the covenant. God is making it, so he lays it out. He lays out the terms of it. He describes who he is and who they are. Like we've said many, many times when God makes this covenant with, with Israel through Moses, he, he begins by saying, I am the Lord your God who brought you out of the land of Egypt. That describes him, who he is, and who they are in relationship to him. He's the rescuer, they're being rescued. He's the deliverer, they're the ones being delivered. So so we have the identity of the of the of the parties, if you will, to this covenant, God and, and these and these people. And then God lays out how it is that they're going to relate to each other. Various commands, stipulations, this is what it means to be mine. And he says he vows to them that he will be their God and and, and he will protect and provide for them he'll oversee them he'll, he'll be present with them that's his promises to them they vow to him that they will have no other gods before him and then oh what that what that means and and in this covenant there are there are blessings and curses if the people are faithful to the covenant they'll be blessed if not cursed and it's it's when they're unfaithful that prophets come and the prophets come and say and, and warn them really this is, the, this is the covenant. These are the terms of the covenant. And you're violating these terms. You're being unfaithful. And so these curses will come upon you. It's a, it's a warning. But always with that warning is this, this plea to return, to come back. We'd say repent. So the warning of the prophet, it's really the love of God that he brings these prophets to them to warn them. Don't continue down this path. Stop. Trust. Return. Always the message. Stop. Trust, return. And so this prophet Malachi comes and we can see uh, his plea that they return. Notice in chapter 3 and verse 7, very clearly, using the very voice of God, he says, return to me and I will return to you, says the Lord of hosts. That's the reason this is coming now to this particular group of people. Because you see, they've been violating the covenant That God has made with them to be their God and they his people. They've been violating that covenant. They've been unfaithful to it. So the prophet now comes to warn them, telling them to stop, to trust God and return to him. And, And when Malachi begins, you remember, he begins with the very heart, the very guts, if you will, of this covenant. The way that God is going to relate to his people. Because he begins. By using the voice of God. And saying. I have loved you. And you see that's the issue. That's the problem. They, they've missed that. They've forgotten that. Because you see. This love of God. For them. Was this unconditional. Special. Electing love. They didn't deserve it. They didn't deserve it. Because they had forgotten that they didn't deserve it thinking they did deserve it then they ceased really to love god to really worship him remember in the days of jesus on a particular occasion jesus happened to be in the home of this pharisee this religious leader pharisee named simon and he went in and 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 he, he was there a bit and having been there a little while a woman came in and, and in their mind she shouldn't have been there because she was a notorious sinner And and she came in and you remember she she began to cry at Jesus and and she wet his feet with her tears and dried them with her hair and took some fragrant oil and anointed his feet and and simon of course was aghast by this if you knew who this woman was you would never let her touch you and jesus knew exactly who she was and she t- he told a little story to simon to try to, to try to get him and, and move him and understand what was going on here but the bottom line was this woman knew she was a sinner this woman knew that she had a great deal to be forgiven of she knew that god had forgiven her and thus according to jesus she loved much and she bowed before him simon on the other hand didn't really think he was much of a sinner, thus didn't really think he had much to be forgiven, uh, thus didn't love at all. And when they lost this notion that they were loved by God even though they were utterly undeserving of that love and their hearts were cold towards him, there was no real worship. And that was the problem, you see. The problem here in ancient Israel was the people had ceased to sincerely, honestly worship God. And we've said this, but get this in your heads. To, to worship God means to praise Him for who He is. He is holy. There isn't anyone like Him. And so to worship Him means to, to praise Him for who He is. There isn't anyone like Him. We need to see Him as He is, that He really is holy, that His, his, his wisdom is holy. There's no other wisdom like His He's omniscient. His power is holy. There is no one who has power like his. He's omnipotent. His love is holy. There's no one who loves like God. And, and so we're wowed by him. And so we praise him for who he is. We, we, we can't help but bend our knee before him, bow our heads before him to, to worship him. And then we give him thanks, most especially ancient Israel. They should have thanked God because he's the one who did, in fact, call them because of Abraham. This one he, he chose to be his and, and his descendants after him they just happened to be descendants of Abraham and thus then they were being they were the ones to be blessed by God he'd rescued them out of Egypt he had he had he had cared for them he had provided for them and even when they went astray and even because of their exile he, he still brought them back they, they should be giving him thanks for what he's done for them and 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 then because of who God is and they're being wowed by him praising him and because of their Thankful hearts then, in humble submission, they should willingly joyfully obey him I mean that's that's worship from beginning to end, and they didn't do that, and they didn't do that because they thought they deserved it, but they didn't that was reflected in their lives you remember they they didn't get the idea of of, of bringing their best to God because he really wasn't worth it because they really ceased sincerely to worship him and so they didn't bring him their best animals for sacrifice which means they didn't understand the whole notion of what was happening there to bring this unblemished one this one that didn't deserve to die because they did deserve to die and and so they they missed the whole point of it taking this one who didn't deserve to die for them who did Uh, the priest's broke covenant with god that god had made with their father levi and how they were to to lead the people and teach the people and lead the people into worship and and so that was wrong as as well Uh, they they were faithless to god and to each other the way they treated one another most especially in marriage that they divorced when they ought not and they married those outside the faith they didn't give their tenth their tithe because they didn't really care about worship they didn't really care about the poor and so they they ceased giving as well but really the heart of it is this this last dispute if you will between god and the people the prophet and the people it began really we've looked at it before in chapter 2 and verse 17 this expression you've wearied the lord with your words but you say how have we wearied him the answer is by saying everyone who does evil is good in the sight of the Lord and he delights in them. Or by asking where is the God of justice? In other words, they were saying really, God isn't really worth our worship because he really isn't good. He really isn't just. There is no real justice with God. We look around and we see that those who care little for God, as if they cared a lot. But those who care little for God or not at all for God or even even flaunt their sin before God, they're prospering and we're not. And therefore... He will go on to say more dramatically in chapter three and verse thirteen. You have said it's vain to worship to serve God. What is the profit of our keeping his charge or walking and in, in mourning before the Lord? And and now we call the arrogant blessed evildoers not only prosper, but they put God to the test and they escape. In other words, he's saying, Listen, God is blessing those who who do evil. God delights in those who do evil. God simply isn't good. So why should we worship Him? And God's going to come back to them by way of this prophet and saying, Oh, you think I delight in evil? I don't. You think I call the evil blessed? I I don't. You think I don't care about this? Oh, well, I do. And I'll show it to you. Now, this wasn't the first time that Bible people... People of the book have had, had seen what they were seeing, that, that the arrogant and the wicked and, and the unrighteous and those who don't follow after God at all are prospering. Others had seen it. We saw last Sunday from Psalm 73 that the psalmist says, my feet almost slipped. I almost stumbled because I, I envied the arrogant. And, and God said, no, 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 let me show you their end. And he did. And he understood it then. Many of the psalmists have this expression, how long, O Lord? In other words, how long until you're going to make it right? The prophet Habakkuk begins his whole prophecy with that kind of notion. What's really going on here, God? Why are, are, why are you allowing this injustice? Why are you allowing this sin even among us, God? Why are you doing that? And, and we read in the book of Revelation, even the saints in glory are pleading with the Lord. How long, how long can this go on? But the difference is this. And all those others are saying, God, we know you're good and right and just. And, and so we just, we just simply want to know when is this going to take place? We know that it is. Whereas in Malachi's day, they've come to the conclusion that it isn't. That God simply isn't just. God simply isn't good. God simply delights in the evil ones. And God says, oh, you don't get it. So previously in chapter End of chapter 2 and chapter 3, we noticed that God says, here's how much I care. I'm going to send one, and this one's going to come amongst my people, and he's going to purify them. He's going to purify you. Now, that wouldn't be utterly satisfying, because they were expecting someone to come in those days and and get rid of all of their enemies. But he said, no, 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 I'm going to take my people, I'm going to purify you. Because I don't like it when you're evil and arrogant. I'm going to purify you. But now he comes pointing us down the road even a bit. And in verse 18 of chapter 3, he says, Then once more you shall see the distinction between the righteous and the wicked, between one who serves God and one who does not serve him. And so he says a day is coming, and on that day there will be a fire. And that fire will have two effects. One, it will burn up, And the other, it will bring healing. Now, just a bit of an aside. Hellfire and brimstone sermons are a bit out of fashion these days. This isn't going to be one quite like that, so just relax. Maybe. But, we mustn't stop talking about this judgment for a number of reasons. One, because it's clearly in the Bible. The Bible is complete with, replete with, with, these, with these notions of judgment that are coming. Uh, secondly, this, that this warning concerning judgment is a reflection Of the love of God to us. This is going to happen. And just as the prophets of old came to the people. In the context of the love of God really for his people. To warn them about the day that was to come. To tell them to stop, to trust, to turn. And and, and so he says, listen, I want to give you this, this warning. You see, many, at least according to the Bible. Many are going to be surprised when judgment comes. And really, we need not be surprised because the Bible tells us all over the place that judgment is going to come. And so this is getting us ready. This is preparing the way. This is the warning that says, don't be self-righteous. Don't flee from God. Don't, but rather follow him, fear him, trust him. And so the warning is necessary. And some say, well, that's frightening. Yes, it is frightening. The old preachers used to say this. If you don't know Christ, it should bring you terror to go to sleep tonight. And that's not hype. That's really true. And so these are warnings that come from the very love of God. But not only that. It's necessary. It's important. It should be an encouragement to us. As it should have been to them. To know that judgment will come. Because you see since judgment comes. We know then that God is good. That God is just. Look around. We we, we look at the world as well. And, and, and we see the injustice. We see the hatred. We see the cruelty. We We've seen it. For as long as we've been, it's getting a bit more sophisticated, but it's no less cruel to one another. We know the hatred. We know all of that. And so, you see, if there is no ultimate judgment, then is there any ultimate goodness? Is there any ultimate justice? Is God good? Can he just simply allow the world to continue this way without stopping and saying i'm going to judge this evil can it really continue and so you see it should be an encouragement to us that yes this judgment is going to come and it's going to come because god is good and it's going to come because god is just it must come if it doesn't then we should be exactly where they are and say that it's vain to worship it's necessary it's good that this judgment comes and in God's graciousness he warns us of it but it must really come if indeed God is good and so he says to the people listen it will come you ask how long will this go on not forever you ask is it vain to worship me no no no, it isn't, because the day will come and there will be a distinction made, as he puts it, between the righteous and the wicked, between the one who serves God and the one who doesn't serve him. Now, when he speaks of the righteous or the one who serves him, he's not speaking of those who, therefore, deserve to have eternal life, deserve not to be judged. That's not his point at all. When, he, when he's speaking of righteousness here, he's speaking of righteousness, That is to say, being in right relationship with God by way of this covenant. And this covenant that God had given his people has provision, if you will, for sin. He knows the very reality. He knows our frame. He knows that we're sinners. And he says, listen, in my covenant, I've made provision for that. Bring sacrifice. That will be taken instead of you. And so to be in right relationship with God isn't to be perfect, isn't to deserve it. It's It's to realize you don't deserve it and to bring the animal and say, I don't deserve to be in the very presence of God. I'm a sinner. Please take this one. I know he doesn't deserve to die. I do, but, but this is God's provision. And so, you see, the, the sense of, of those who are righteous and those who serve him, those who worship him, are those who trust him, as you'll we'll put it later, those who fear him. And as we've said, fearing God means that we know that he is, and we know who he is, that he's holy. And we see ourselves in light of him, and we bow before him. And we yield to him because he is the one who is holy. That's what it means to fear God. And so you see, as we fear him, we trust him. And as we trust him, then you see, we come to him for everything. We come to him for forgiveness. We come to him for help. We come to him for all of that. And so that's the distinction. The distinction will be those who, between those who fear him and those who don't. The f- those who fear him are righteous; that is to say, they're in right relationship with him because they're following after the covenant. Why? Because they realize that's life to them, and they can't do any other. And those who do not fear him are the wicked. They rebel against him. They say, "I don't need that. I won't bow to God." And so that's the distinction. He said, "The distinction is really coming. It's going to be made." And when it, and when this distinction is made, everyone will see it because it, th- there'll be this fire. This oven that will come, and notice what he says about this oven that will come. He says, "Behold, the day is coming, burning like an oven, when all the arrogant and evildoers will be stubble." Again, this is imagery here. This is figurative language. It's describing something real, but he says this this connects us to it. He says, the day is coming burning like an oven when all the arrogant and evildoers will be stubble. You look around and you think they're prospering. They're not. They're just drying up. We can take this imagery. They're drying up so that when I come, they're very flammable. They'll be consumed. You think it's health. It isn't health. They're drying up. They're like stubble. They're they're like the very thing that on the one hand starts the fire and the very thing on the other hand that is the result of the fire. They just burn. That's the point of it. The day is coming when they should be set ablaze And, and obviously in the scripture this fire is symbolic of the very wrath of God. It says, the Lord of hosts so that it will leave them neither root nor branch nothing left nothing left of them. Really, that's this sense of it. And this isn't just Sort of an Old Testament concept, if you will. Uh, we find it all throughout the New Testament. Very explicit here. Two Thessalonians in chapter 1, verse 5. The apostle writes to the church there, he says, This is evidence of the righteous judgment of God. Remember, this is chapter 1 of this second letter, so this is it's kind of the opening opening shot of this letter that they're receiving. This is evidence of the righteous judgment of God, that you may be considered worthy of the kingdom of God for which you are also suffering, since indeed God considers it just to repay with affliction those who afflict you and to grant relief to you who are afflicted as well as to us. When the Lord Jesus is revealed from heaven with his mighty angels in flaming fire, inflicting vengeance on those who do not know God and on those who do not obey the gospel of our Lord Jesus, they will suffer punishment of eternal destruction away from the presence of the Lord and from the glory of his might. When he comes on that day to be glorified in his saints. To be marveled at among all who have believed. Because our testimony to you was believed. It simply is true. A distinction will be made. A day will come. It may not look like it now as we see evil prospering in in our land. but, But God is good. And God is just. And this won't continue forever. He's being patient. He's giving warnings. But a day will come when a distinction will be made and everyone will see it and we mustn't ever get that out of our minds. But he said, along with this fire that burns will be another fire. And he puts it like this. He calls it the son of righteousness. Notice. But for you who fear my name, that is, you trust me. You know that I am. You know who I am. You bow before me. You come to me for everything. But for you, who fear my name. The sun of righteousness shall rise with healing in its wings. You shall go out leaping like calves from the stall, and you shall tread down the wicked, for there will be ashes under the soles of your feet on the day when I act, says the Lord of hosts. In other words, it's, it's definitive. The wicked won't be able to get up. They'll never rise again, if you will, in that sense. Wickedness. But he says, what's going to happen is that Righteousness will come, which is to say that on this day it will fly to us. It, it has wings, this righteousness, and it will come to us. And it will be, because this righteousness comes, everything will be made right in and for those who fear him. He says right now it looks like evil is, is winning, that injustice is winning, but a day will come when it will be gone from us. Because righteousness will come. When that righteousness comes, you see, then what it means is everything will be right according to God. Everything will be, will be right then. You see, we know righteousness now in measure. We know the very righteousness of Christ. We are righteous in him, we who believe. Right? It's, it's this, this, this wonderful exchange that he takes our sin and guilt and he gives to us his righteousness so that we then are declared by God to be righteous in him. And, and we live in that. And so we live in the confidence of that. We, li- we live in the joy of that. We, we know that we can go from the presence of God in the name of Jesus and he receives us. Why? Because we're righteous in his sight, forgiven and righteous because of Jesus. And that's, that's wonderful. But, but we look around and even in our own lives, we go, but, but this hasn't, met its full measure yet in everything. And he said, but a day will come when it, when it will and when it does, everything will glorify Him. Everything will uh, show forth the very glory of God. There'll be no sin, no effects of sin. Every river, every mountain, every purpose, person will reflect the glory and the righteousness and the righteousness of God. And, and, and you know, This is unimaginable to us. In part, it's unimaginable because we just can't even think about a life without sin and its effects. We we, we, we catch glimpses of that on good days, but but it's just, how do we even imagine that? The, The other reason it's unimaginable, I think, is because we live in the United States of America in the 21st century, which means that on most days, most of the time, for most of us, things are okay. But when, when you've seen real poverty, you can't wait for the earth to be rid of it. When you see real disease, you can't wait for the earth to be rid of it. When you've known real discouragement and depression, you can't wait for the earth to be rid of it. When you've seen aging and the effects on body and mind, you can't wait for the earth be rid of it when you've seen children rebel against their parents you can't wait for the earth to be rid of it when you've seen parents abuse their children you can't wait for the earth to be rid of it when you've seen children enslaved for the pleasures of men you can't wait for the earth to be rid of it when you've seen women degrade their bodies so that men can enjoy them We can't wait for the earth to be rid of it. You see, when we've seen seen sin and its manifestations, we can't wait for the earth to be rid of it. When we've seen hatred and oppression, we can't wait for the earth to be rid of it. When we have seen families destroyed by anger and sin, we can't wait for the earth to be rid of it. And God is saying to us, a day will come when the earth will be rid of it. On that day, a distinction will be made. And we shall see the triumph of the goodness of the Lord. His righteousness will come. It will be as apparent as the sun in the sky. On a clear day. It will penetrate like the warmth. And the light of sun. It will go everywhere. On the face of the earth. And all will be made right. And that is the truth. And on those days. On that day. All who fear him. Will know this blessing. The very blessing of God. The Lord will bless us. The Lord will keep us. And the Lord will make. His face. To shine upon us. And the Lord will be gracious to us. And he will lift up his countenance upon us. And he will give us righteousness. Because you see that righteousness brings peace. The scripture speaks to us. The prophet Isaiah, for instance, in this passage, Isaiah chapter 11. And a little child shall lead them. The cow and the bear shall graze. Their young shall die, uh, lie down together. And the lion shall eat straw like the ox. The nursing child shall play over the hole of the cobra. And the wean child shall put his hand in the adder's den. They shall not hurt or destroy in all my holy mountain. For the earth shall be full of the knowledge of the Lord. As the waters cover the sea. The sun of righteousness. Shall shine. And we know this from the book of Revelation as John sees the very end and all that is to come. He writes this He says, Then I saw a new heaven and a new earth, for the first heaven and the first earth had passed away, and the sea was no more. And I saw the holy city, the new Jerusalem, coming down out of heaven from God, prepared as a bride, adorned for her husband. And I heard a loud voice from the throne saying, Behold, the dwelling place of God is with man. He will dwell with them. They'll be his people. God himself will be with them as their God. He'll wipe away every tear from their eyes and death shall be no more. Neither shall there be mourning, nor crying, nor pain anymore. And the former things have passed away. And then the angel showed me the river of the water of life, bright as crystal flowing from the throne of God and of the Lamb through the middle of the street of the city. And also on either side of the river, the tree of life, With its 12 kinds of fruit yielding its fruit each month, the leaves of the tree were for the healing of the nations. No longer will there be anything accursed, but the throne of God and the Lamb will be in it, and his servants will worship him. They will see his face, and his name will be on their foreheads, and night will be no more. They will need no light of lamp or a sun, for the Lord God will be their light, and they will reign forever and ever. Now, the question is, do we, do you, do I, fear the Lord? A day will come when it will be obvious. Who fears, who doesn't. Who feared, who didn't. And the question is, Why should we fear him? Is it not vain to worship God? Is he good? Is he he just? Well, there was a night in the life of our Lord Jesus when he was with his disciples. It was a night of worship. Really, It it was a night when they should have stopped and Praise God for who he is, holy. Thank God for what he had done, delivered them, and humbly submitted in joyful obedience to the very covenant of God, knowing they were loved by him. All that was to take place on that night. Jesus, though, said, huh, Watch this. He took the bread. And after giving thanks, he broke it. He gave it to his disciples, and he said, You think the deliverance from Egypt was great. This is my body. It will deliver you. Same way. He took the cup. And after giving thanks, he gave this to his disciples. And he said, you you knew the old covenant. This cup is the new covenant in my blood. Shed for many for the forgiveness of sins. Do this in remembrance of me. He says, listen. I'm going to deliver you from sin and death. Everything that has taken place up till this time points to this moment. Everything from this moment on will point back. It is in vain to worship God. He's the giver of life. He's the giver of righteousness. So he says to us listen, if you're straying from him, stop, trust, return. In the midst of your life, realize that you don't deserve it, but he has done it. Trust him. He's the son of righteousness. He shines, he gives light. He brings healing in his wings. Healing from sin and death. Ultimately, healing from every effect of sin. And so he says to us, Trust me. Let's pray. Father, pray for me for us. We know you're good. We know you're just. We see it even in this table. We, we see it here because we know your justice judged sin. But in Jesus for all who believe we take his death for ours. We receive forgiveness from his sacrifice. We take his righteousness to us from his life that we may stand in your presence and we know a day is coming when the distinction will be made and we now pledge our faith that we may stand with you on that day bathed in righteousness. So I pray, God, you would take this bread, this juice set it apart in such a way that we know that we're in the very presence of Jesus, that there is healing in his wings, that he is light to us to reveal our sin and your provision. to bring power to us that we may believe. And so I pray that trusting you, we will come to this table and know this healing and know this righteousness, even as we anticipate the day which is to come. And this I pray in Jesus' name. Amen.